You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. And uh, great to be together. If you're visiting with us, uh, we're the South Bay Church, and we're glad that you're here with us. We had a special uh, Sunday last week. We had our workshop, which is kind of an annual way we kick off the year. So we had an extended time together, and we had tacos together last Sunday. It was great. And uh, Steve preached about how being a mission-minded church starts with rejuvenation. So we're going to be talking more about rejuvenation the next three Sundays. Uh, I'm going to be speaking today, and then Mark Steberg, and then Dustin Peckman. But we we thought we wanted to talk more today. The title of the lesson is Rejuvenated in Christ. So we're going to be talking more about this idea of rejuvenation. Um, When I was in college, uh, getting to know my now wife, Dessa, uh, and getting to know her family. I remember going over to her house and meeting her parents and meeting her dog, Pepper. Uh, and uh, this was a dog that they'd had for many years, but he was starting to get old. He was getting kind of decrepit. He, you know, he, he had a tail that was just kind of the flesh of the tail, you know what I mean? Uh, kind of nasty, just, you know, losing his hair and, and uh, going blind. And, uh, you know, he, he was not in very good shape. And um, I, I didn't get to ask her. I'm not sure why, you know, how this ended out, but they ended up where they started just sticking him outside. I don't know if they were just thinking he was about to die, so they would just stick him outside or what. But he was like kind of living outside for a while. And what happened is after a short time of living outside, this is in the snow, this is in Evergreen, Colorado, he started to like come back to life. He, his, his fur became silky and and, and, and thick. Uh, he just got a whole new lease on life after spending some time outside. And uh, the family realized that where he had been living before, down in the laundry room, uh, it, it, was so, uh, it was so full of, uh, of, of cleaner. Uh, what, what's that cleaner? Lysol, I think. Pine saw. Pine saw. It was so full of pine saw that he'd been poisoned by the pine saw. And being outside gave him a whole new lease on life. He was completely rejuvenated. A whole new dog. They, they thought he was dying of old age, but really he was dying of pine salt poisoning. <laughs> and, uh, and so he had several good years after that. Stopped using pine salt. <laughs> but spiritually, uh, spiritually, many of us are like Dust's dog, Pepper, uh, where we've been breathing spiritually toxic fumes... And we might be here today kind of a little haggard, you know, we've got, got our, you know, the nub of a tail, or we've got a lot of our fur missing, or whatever, spiritually, and, and God is a God who rejuvenates, and so that's why this is such an important topic. We all, in one area or another, need spiritual rejuvenation, and uh, last week, Steve talked about this uh, name of God, Yahweh Rafika. Uh, there's different compound names of God that are used in the Bible in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and this is one that is used extensively in the book of Isaiah, and it's in Exodus is where it first appears, but it's the God who heals, the God who rejuvenates. That's who God is, that's part of God's nature, that's one of the qualities of God is He is the healer God, the God of renewal. Uh, I need that kind of God in my life, don't you? And so... In Isaiah, and uh, you know, Steve read a verse from Isaiah in Isaiah 42 last week that really inspired me 
and uh, I, I spent more time studying Isaiah. And, and coincidentally, I'd been listening to Isaiah over the holidays uh, on my phone as I worked out and stuff, just listening to the Bible. I've been doing that more, and I'm going to talk more about that here in a minute. But And uh, there's this, this theme that appears in Isaiah a lot of streams in the desert, and uh, that God brings streams in the desert. So if you picture desert, picture Palm Springs, you know, it's dry, and it, it's, you know, there hasn't been rain for, for many, many months. Uh, anybody ever tried to go for a walk in Palm Springs or anything? We, we do, uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we've done this several times where we've had different retreats in Palm Springs in August. <laughs> and that's because you can get a beautiful, amazing resort for a really good price in August. There's a reason, because it's 116 degrees. But I remember getting up at like 7 in the morning trying to go for a prayer walk, because at that time it's only 90 or something, you know? And I just did not last long, because it's, it's parched and it's dry and it's harsh conditions. And so the idea of God bringing streams in the desert, it's something only that only God can do to turn that desert into an oasis, to turn that desert into streams of water. That's who God is, the, the, God the healer. And so the title of this uh, uh, lesson today really has to do with God rejuvenating, rejuvenating Christ, God using Christ to rejuvenate us. Here's a few of those verses. Uh, it says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Here's another one in Isaiah. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness. That's the church was called the way as a fulfillment of this scripture. Streams in the wasteland. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. And, and next week, Mark's going to be talking about being God's chosen people. Uh, this is what the Lord says, He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who will help you. Do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshron, whom I have chosen. For, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring, my blessings on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in the meadow like poplar trees by flowing streams. That's who I want to be spiritually. Somebody who's thriving, not just surviving, don't you? That's who God is. He brings new life. He brings refreshment. He brings renewal. He brings rejuvenation. And uh, the background of Isaiah, it was a dark time. Steve talked about this a little bit last week. But uh, Israel, uh, the, the God's chosen people had, had split. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom that happened uh, the, two generations after David. And the northern kingdom, uh, in the time frame of Isaiah, shortly after that was conquered by the Assyrians. They were this mighty, mighty power. And uh, the, the southern kingdom, Judah, was threatened by the Assyrians in a, in a very significant way. Uh, you know, Assyria was this world power that was just dominating everyone like n had never happened before in human history. And, uh, and so God's people were really afraid. Uh, and, and they were also, they kept uh, rebelling against God and following other idols. They wanted to be like the nations around them. And God kept telling them, if, if, if you continue on this path, uh, you're going you're gonna to reap the consequences of this. So there's a lot of, of darkness in Isaiah, but intermixed with that uh, kind of dark time is this hope, this future hope 
of God, a God that would bring, even in, in the desert, even in a seemingly hopeless situation, a God that would bring new life and bring rejuvenation and bring new hope. And there's a lot of prophecies about the Messiah in Isaiah. And we're going to look at one of those specifically in Isaiah chapter 2, as we talk, uh, chapter 42, as we talk about uh, rejuvenation. So turn in your Bible or on your phone to uh, Isaiah 42, if you would, and uh, we're going to read this passage that uh, Steve read last week uh, with a little bit extra. Isaiah 42 in verse 1. This is a prophecy 750 years before Christ about Jesus. It says, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. And his teaching, the islands put their hope. <clears throat> this idea of a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. It just means God, God will send this Messiah who he will be a conquering king, but he will pay attention to the weak and the lowly. And he will care about those of us who are weak. And ju just because you're a smoldering wick that deserves to be cut off, he's going to still give you hope. And, and even if you're a bruised reed, he's not going to break you entirely. He's going to rejuvenate you. That's who he is. Verse 5, this is what the Lord God says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth and all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. This is God's message to us, the, the God who gives life. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeons those who sit in darkness. That's God's will for us as his people. That, that is who Jesus came to be, and that's who we as followers of Jesus are, is we're bringing good news to the nations. We're bringing rejuvenation to other people. We're bringing hope to the blind. We're bringing hope to those who are in, in captivity spiritually. Uh, we're bringing freedom. I am the Lord, verse 8, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So this uh, passage uh, about Jesus, again, this was 750 B.C. Um, this is quoted in the New Testament. If you turn over to Matthew 12, you know, Jesus' followers recognize, okay, this, this figure that was prophesied about is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled this. Jesus came and he literally opened the eyes of the blind. Uh, he, he literally allowed people to speak that had never spoken before. He, he literally brought healing, uh, and, and in, a, in a metaphorical sense, he brought spiritual healing to all people. And so in, in Matthew 12, if you turn there, you'll see this passage uh, beginning there in verse 15. And uh, I thought it would be great to look at what precedes this passage. You know, uh, one thing I've been studying in, in grad school is uh, the way that the New Testament was put together and uh, the way that the New Testament writers chose to put things together. In that time, the first century, when, 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 uh, when these books were collected, these writings were collected, they didn't approach um, historic history the way we do, or, or they didn't tell a biography the way we might tell it, where we go, okay, I got to give a chronology uh, of exactly what happened in, in this order. And 
it's more of a of a picture so you, you notice sometimes in the gospels there are different order of of when things happened right uh you know like the 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 woman who was uh anointed jesus is early in in one uh gospel and it's later in another gospel or or jesus driving out the money changers in the temple is earlier in one or later in another and, and you can kind of it's hard to figure out okay what order did it actually happen in that didn't necessarily matter to first century mindset what was important is a complete picture of who jesus was and so these these uh, gospel writers made some decisions in how they uh put together their gospels and uh it, it was kind of a topical approach and so a lot of times you can learn a lot about a passage by what's before it and what's after it and kind of how what did matthew why did matthew put it together this way and so in Matthew 12, when he's quoting this verse that Jesus is the healer, Jesus is the fulfiller of these healing verses in Isaiah, uh, let's look at this story that comes right before it in Matthew 12, uh, verse 9. The context here, right before this, we don't have time to read it, but uh, the disciples are walking through these fields and they're picking uh, kernels of wheat and, and eating them. Um, and this was something in the, in the law, in the Old Testament law, when you, when you harvested a field, you were only supposed to go through it one time and then leave whatever else was there. And that was for the poor so they could go through and it's called gleaning. They could kind of get whatever was left over. And that, that was a way of taking care of the, the needy uh, or the homeless. They could kind of go through. So, so you go once, you harvest, and then you leave it. So what, what they were doing was, was that. There were guys in need and they're hungry. So they're walking through these fields and they would pick a little piece of wheat and pull the chaff off, and then eat, eat a little whole grain snack. Um, and uh, the, the religious leaders saw this happening, and they said, you are breaking the law, because today is Saturday. It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And you are harvesting, and you are, uh, you know, you, you are, you're picking these heads of grain. You're, you're harvesting wheat. And, uh, you know, it wasn't illegal to eat on the Sabbath, but it was illegal to work. And so they were supposedly working. So, you know, they're just trying to argue with Jesus. They're trying to look at any reason to pick apart his teaching. So that's the context, is they're trying to find a reason to criticize Jesus. So verse 9, we'll pick it up. Going from that place, he went into their synagogues, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. You know, the Sabbath, this, this day of rest, this was one of the most distinctive things about being Jewish, is that you didn't work on the Sabbath. And so this was something they wanted to really protect. This is what, a big part of what made them, Jew, uh, made them Jewish. And, and, and the synagogue was a place that you would gather on the Sabbath uh, to listen to the word uh, of God being read and to pray together <clears throat> and to be with other Jews. And so he's there on the Sabbath, and uh, there's a man there who has a shriveled hand or withered hand, a, a useless hand. We don't know if it was that way from birth or if it happened from, you know, bacterial infection or some other reason. We don't know. 
but you know they they're they're looking for a chance to try to criticize Jesus and uh, and so they they're kind of bringing it right into focus and the the parallel version in Mark three I love because it says Jesus you know he doesn't back down from this challenge in Mark three it says he had the man stand up in front of everyone and then it says he looked around at them in anger so. It's not a sin to get angry, but it's, it's a sin to be quick to become angry. And then it's a sin, what, it can be a sin what you do with your anger. But Jesus got angry. It's right there in Mark 3. Why was he angry? It says he looked around at them in anger, uh, distressed, deeply distressed. Like the, the, the Greek there is from his guts. He was deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. So the, the people around him, the, these religious leaders... They cared more about the law than about love. Uh, they cared more about rules than about relationship. Were they thinking about this man and his condition at all? No, they were just thinking about, I want to use this guy as a tool to try to get Jesus in trouble. They, they were only thinking about themselves and they were trying to score political points using this guy. Whereas Jesus was concerned about the man himself. And so that's the, the first point is you are valuable to Jesus. Jesus says, this is a person. If one of you guys, you religious leaders, if you had a sheep and he fell into a pit on the Sabbath, you would pull the sheep out. Here is a man, uh, a human being who has a need. And how much more valuable is this person than a sheep? And God, you, you got to believe that Jesus knows your shriveled hand. You know, Jesus knows your spiritual condition uh, your weaknesses, your failings, the things that you, the areas where you need to be healed, Jesus knows and he cares about those areas. And you are valuable to him. Uh, you know, as I think about this aspect of Jesus, I'm convicted because I feel like I can be, I'm a busy person, I'm trying to serve the Lord, I'm doing all these things, but I feel like I don't have the level of love Jesus had that he was always just focused on an individual and their needs above his own. I mean, he, he wasn't even thinking about this political argument. He was thinking about this man and his needs. And, and that convicts me. I want to be more like that. I want to empty myself. I want to think more about others. I need to be more focused on the needs of others. And, 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 and I don't want my, uh, you know, spirituality to be about, be about religion and rules. I want it to be about relationship. And I, I really want to be a, a man who, who, it's about love and not about law. And uh, that's just so much who Jesus was. And, uh, you know, I mean, think about this man for a minute. Uh, what's more valuable than your hand? You know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, of other things you would give up before you gave up the use of one of your hands. Um, I, I, anybody ever... Uh, you know, uh, sprained a, a finger or something or, or broken a finger and it, it, it affects your whole life, doesn't it? I mean, I, I, uh, had a, I was doing the dishes and a, a glass fell in the, in the sink and broke and I was trying to pull the glass out and I s sliced my finger pretty badly this week. So I just had a, a Band-Aid on this and I you know, didn't have the use of this one finger and I'm telling you, it affected me all day long. Uh, because there's just, you, you don't, you take for granted, you know, using your fingers and, you know, I, I'm trying to do my computer. There's a lot of two finger stuff you do on a Mac. And so I'm doing it with these two fingers and, uh, you know, and it's not that big a deal, but imagine completely use, losing the use of your hand. 
uh, that, that's something that would affect your whole life. It would affect your everyday. And we all have uh, areas that are like that. What is your shriveled hand spiritually? You know, you get up in the morning and there it is. It's affecting you. Uh, you know, we, we, we talk about plans for a new, God, new year and we're going to serve God. We're going to do great things at the church. And in your mind, you're thinking, yeah, but I have this condition. I have this shriveled hand. I have this issue. Uh, you know, and, 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 and so how can we be re- made new? Well, there's, there's a part that, that's God's part and there's a part that's our part. And so the second thing is stretch out your hand. There is not a healing that takes place in the Bible uh, or it's very rare where, where we aren't called, the person isn't called to do something, right? You know, Jesus tells the, the, the man who is leprous, go show yourself to the priest. And you get the feeling that, okay, maybe, I don't know at what point exactly he was made well, but he had to do something. He had to go show himself to the priest. Uh, or, you know, the miracle of turning water to wine. He says, go take some of the water out of that uh, big jar over there, this big uh, cement jar, take some water out, take it to the master of the banquet. So he has to do something. And then the water is turned to wine, but not before the guy has to do something, right? Uh, take up your mat and walk, he tells the paralyzed man. Even Lazarus, the man he rose from the dead, he says, come out of the tomb, Lazarus. So, so God is calling you, whatever area uh, that you need to see rejuvenated, you got to take some action in that area, Right? God's part, he does the healing part. He does the difficult part. He's the one that heals the man's hand, but he's got to stretch it out. And so if you think about those areas, you know, and maybe it's, it's anger for you. Maybe it's, it's sinning in your anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's anxiety. You just can't get away from the anxiety that you feel. Uh, maybe it's a lack of discipline. Uh, you know, maybe it's dishonesty. Whatever it is, whatever that area, that shriveled hand is, I want to call you to make some decisions about that. Jesus is here to bring, breathe life into these areas. And the thing about Jesus, the healer, is there's always hope. There's always hope. Even in a humanistic level, this man with a shriveled hand, he was beyond hope. But for Jesus, there is hope. It's never too late. It's never too far gone. Jesus says in in, uh, John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the source of life and of resurrection. He's here to breathe life into your relationship with God. He's here to breathe life into your friendships with others, into your marriage, your family relationships. He's here to breathe life into your relationship to work and the way that you uh, spend your everyday uh, hours. Uh, Jesus is here to revive that relationship, into your home life, into your commitment to missions. Jesus is here to breathe life into your spiritual well-being. All of these areas, Jesus brings life. He brings healing. He brings rejuvenation. He brings hope. Uh, You know, just as an illustration of rejuvenation, just look outside right now, right? This rain that we've had recently, uh, Marshall and I were, uh, he's doing a little bit of practice driving, and we were right by this um, this uh, airport that's near our house, Torrance Airport. And Torrance Airport is just, it's just one little strip of cement, you know, and little planes take off. But all surrounding it is normally just dry dirt. And uh, we were there a couple days ago, and here's what it looks like right now. Isn't that gorgeous? That's Torrance Airport. 
That's just a few days of rain. It's rejuvenation. And that's who Jesus is. He brings streams in the desert to your life. So even if you're feeling hopeless or even if you're feeling like, oh, I don't think this area can change, that's who Jesus is. He brings streams of living water to the desert. Uh, in John four fourteen, Jesus says this, Anyone who drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a spring of water in them. It will flow up to eternal life. That's how Jesus defines his relationship with his followers is that he is giving us streams of living water that come from inside us. How do we drink that water? How do we have this kind of connection to Jesus? Uh, Steve last week talked a little bit about how to tap into that renewal and there's some real practicals that I want to reiterate and talk about a little bit. And I really want to persuade you to invest in this relationship with Jesus. That starting this year off, there is nothing better you could do than get rejuvenated in your walk with God. And so just specifically talking about reading your Bible, talking about prayer, talking about discipleship, there there is no better investment that you could make than this time. And it's challenging for us as Americans because we're busy and we're caught up and all this other stuff that the world is around us. It's, It's hard to just stop and be still and to invest in the relationship with God. Uh, talking about the word, um, you know, I, I mentioned the, the uh, idea of listening to the word. And I want to encourage you to try this out. If you, if you, go, if you have a smartphone, you can go to uh, either the App Store uh, on Apple or the Google Play uh, to get, you know, if you're an Android user. And you can download what's called Bible Gateway. It's an app from Bible Gateway. And on that app... You can listen, any passage of the Bible you can listen to uh, in, in any translation or many different translations. And then there's different readers. You can choose what style. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. Try that out in your, in your time with God or try that out uh, in your week to listen to the Bible. And the reason I say that is, you know, the Bible was actually, all these passages were actually designed to be listened to. They were, they were orally transmitted and orally received. Most people didn't have their own copies of the scriptures to study on their own. They would go to synagogue, they would go to house church, they would hear the Bible being read. And it just hits you on a different level. You get more context, you get more big picture. I think, you know, studying the, the text is awesome, but I want to encourage you to try listening to the Bible. I, I was doing that over the holidays, and it, it had such a great effect on me. Uh, it's another way to get through a lot of the Bible. You, you know, many of us might be reading the Bible in a year, which is awesome. Uh, you could listen to the whole Bible in a few months because you just get through more of it more quickly. But I want to encourage you to, uh, to da- download and listen to the Bible. The cool thing, too, is you can uh, you know, let your phone go to sleep and it's, still, you know, it's not wasting battery life. That's just a side benefit. You know, it's, not, it's not on. So, uh, but, but, but listen to it. Uh, I want to talk about meditating on the Word. You know, meditation is a, a real popular thing in culture right now. There's a Katy Perry video uh, that you might have seen on Facebook talking about meditation. And I heard another interview with um, uh, Questlove from uh, Jimmy Fallon, you know, from The Roots, talking about how he meditates. And then I heard another uh, actor who says he meditates. And so this is kind of a popular thing in popular culture, this idea of meditation. Why? Because people are realizing that we're so, we're so fast-paced, we're not designed for that. And so if... if, if uh, 
meditation that doesn't have its base in the scripture, if that can be effective, imagine how effective Christian meditation can be. And, uh, and, and meditation is just to, to stop and be still, be mindful, be in the moment. And uh, Eastern meditation is trying to empty yourself, trying not to think about anything. Uh, Christian meditation is trying to fill yourself, fill yourself with God. Fill yourself with the messages of God. Uh, the word meditation is used 21 times, meditate or meditation in the Old Testament. And it's almost always uh, in context of God's word, meditating on God's word. And so I want to encourage you to do that as well. Invest in, in time of, med- of Christian meditation, of, of stopping and being still. Uh, you know, personally, this is so hard for me. I'm such a multitasker. And so I'm, I'm always listening to podcasts or I'm always, you know, got the news on while I'm doing the dish. You know, every time I do the dishes, I, I record the nightly news and then I listen to the news while I do the dishes. Or then I, you know, I, I'm even sometimes listening to something while I'm brushing my teeth. I'm just I'm always, always, always. So it's hard to just, okay, I just need to stop. And, and we have a kind of unique uh, time in, in this generation in that we all have a little computer, most of us have, that we carry around with us. And, and it's always on and there's always a feed there's always you know social media or we're getting texts or we're getting notifications and i mean you know netflix and hulu and there if you're interested in any topic that has ever been inter- anybody's ever been interested somebody's probably put a video about that on youtube you know it's just this constant source of input and so just but but learning to turn that off uh, put it on airplane mode, you know, and, and just unplug and just be with God. That's something that you've got to take time to do really on a daily basis. And it's hard to do, but it's worth it. Uh, even just these last 10 years, the iPhone is about to have its 10-year anniversary, January 29th. And it has affected our life, this idea of smartphones. It's only 10 years old, this technology, but it has affected us. It's constant, this constant input. So I want to try this for a minute. I want to try just spending one minute in meditation. And just, uh, just you might look at a, a verse and meditate on that verse. Uh, you might just have a thought you want to talk, think about. Maybe just looking here at Mark uh, chapter 12, that we've, or Matthew 12 that we've been looking at. But I want to just take a little bit of, of time and, uh, and meditate together as we you know, picture the streams of water here uh, uh, on the screens. And uh, so let's spend a little bit of quiet meditation time. hard to be still, isn't it? I don't know if it's hard for you. It's hard for me. That was only two minutes, but it feels like such a long time. Or it's like, uh, it's, we're just so wired for just uh, all the time. And I, but take time out uh, for meditation. Take time out for God. Uh, you know, with prayer, um, I remember Kevin Maine saying, you know, for prayer time, he would say, figure out what is your best quiet time and do that every day of your life. Uh, so you'll ha- always have best quiet times. Uh, which that might work for some people. Uh, you know, figure out what's the best thing for a quiet time. And then do that for your prayer time. For me, part of the I- issue is I like variety. So whatever was best, it might not be best tomorrow. You know what I mean? So I like kind of to vary what I do for my prayer times. Uh, so I think figure out what works best for you. Do that, but also try variety in your time with God. Um, you know, if, if you're if you're visiting with us, 
we really believe in trying to be like in the first century when the, the early disciples would spend time together in prayer or spend time alone with God in prayer and, uh, and just calling on God. God. Jesus gave us a great model to use for prayer. In Luke 11, uh, is, is the, it's called the Lord's Prayer. He gives us a model. And if you, that's, I pray through that model probably most days of the year where I just kind of go through, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I just think about how amazing God is. I praise God for who he is, what his nature is like, and, 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 and what he does, and who he is, and all he's given me. And, and then it says, your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I pray for God's kingdom, and I pray for his will to be done in my life. You know, just like it's being done in heaven, help us to do your will here on earth. And I pray about us and our church, and I pray about myself. Help me to do your will. Will. And then it's give me this day my daily bread. Uh, you know, here's what I have in front of me today. Here's what my needs are today. Uh, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So my daily bread, here's what I've, I need your help with today, Lord. Uh, you know, it, it talks about uh, forgive me of my sin and I forgive those who sin against me. So you, you work through that stuff in your prayer time, uh, confessing your sin to God, letting go of any bitterness or any, any area where you haven't forgiven someone else. And, uh, and lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. You pray about, you know, your path that day. It's a great model to pray through. And there's other uh, systems that you can use to pray through. But, but uh, another great tool is to pray through a psalm. Because a psalm is, is a prayer. And so when you pray through the psalm and you kind of read a little bit and then pray and then read a little bit and then pray, that helps you to kind of go through whatever uh, spiritual journey that, that psalmist was going through. Uh, prayer places, you know, pick a new spot to go pray, a uh, new location to go pray. I, I love to pray in nature. I love to go to the cliffs and PV. I have a hill near my house I love to go up and pray on. But I love to be out uh, uh, with God to pray. Um, you know, going for prayer walks and just praying. Sometimes I'll wear my, uh, my Apple headphones so I can just talk out loud and people think I'm talking to somebody uh, on, my, on my iPhone, but really I'm just talking to God. <coughs> A prayer journal uh, is great. Jerry Sugarman showed his prayer journal last week. And, and different prayers, that specific prayers he had, and it circled through the years. That's so cool. I just, I keep a digital prayer journal, and uh, I started a new tradition where the beginning of the year I read through the last year's prayer journal. And it was so encouraging reading through my prayer journal of 2016 and seeing how many things God had answered and how God had come through. You know, I, I see parts of the, of the prayer journal, I'm, I'm, I'm typing all this stuff because I'm going through something, and then I'm like, wow, I don't even, I had forgotten about that. You know, it's something that was so heavy on my heart, and I'm like, I completely forgot about that. You know, it just gives you perspective when you, when you journal those things. Specific requests, uh, sharing those with others. You know, Calvin Johnson always keeps a, 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 in his phone, he keeps different people's prayer requests for himself and for others, and he's a, he's a great prayer warrior that way. If you want something to happen, give it to Calvin and ask him to pray about it. But, uh, but sharing those, that's what it means by prayer and petition, present your request to God. Is you're getting other people to sign your petition. Hey, help me, I'm praying for this. Would you pray for it as well? Um, and just personally, uh, you know, th- this, this works. Spending time with God, spending time in His Word, spending time praying, meditating, it, it really does work. I was feeling overwhelmed the other day uh, as I was thinking about the new year, thinking about our church. Uh, we have a great, great church family here. I'm so, so thankful for South Bay. Uh, we grew by 3.5% or so last year. And I was just thinking about 
wow, that's not enough. God, we need to grow by more. We need to, there's literally hundreds of thousands of lost people all around us. You know, what can we do? And, and when you look around, it looks like Satan is winning. You know, uh, it looks like Satan and his demons are winning the battles. And I was just feeling overwhelmed. But as I meditated and as I prayed and as I, I read through Isaiah and the story of Hezekiah and, uh, uh, and Sennacherib, the, the king of Assyria who was coming against him, it's such an incredible story. I'm going to preach that story sometime soon. It's just so amazing. Uh, his voice, Sennacherib and his, his uh, field captain's voice were so much the voice of Satan. You can't do it. What do you, what do you think? You know, look around you, all these other kings have lost. And how do you think you could ever accomplish anything? It's just the voice of Satan. And yet God's answer to Hezekiah was so encouraging. And it just filled me with faith. And I began to pray about uh, South Bay becoming a church of 500 people someday. And, and us having, you know, more of an impact in PV and San Pedro and and, you know, the up, El Segundo and Carson and Wilmington, you know, the kind of the boundaries of where we're serving here in the L.A. church. And, you know, uh, having a dynamic student ministry at, at Harbor College and, and, and at Marymount College and El Camino College and, you know, having more young people. Just, my heart started just to get more faithful and more visionary. Why? Just because I opened my heart and it stopped and I spent time in God's word. We, we need it. We've got to take time out. And, and that's, that's the last point I want to make about this individual time with God, is you've got to take time out to be with God. Like, like don't just have, okay, I, I pray on my way to work, or I pray on my way to school, or on my way somewhere. I have been guilty of that. Okay, I've got to go there. I'm, I, I, I can use the time anyway. Uh, because to me, it's like you are, uh, you're, you're, you're not sacrificing anything. You know what I mean? There's this verse in the Old Testament where David wants to offer a, a God a sacrifice, and this this guy Ar- Ariana, uh, he says, no, 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 you can just have this air, you know, you can have this field that you want to offer a sacrifice to God, and you can just have it. And David says, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid fifty shekels of silver for them. David had this heart of, I want to I wanna sacrifice for God. I want it to cost me something, my relationship with God. It needs to cost me something. And the cool thing is this area, this was on Mount Moriah, which was the same spot that God had called on Abraham to offer his son. And it's also the same spot. This threshing floor becomes the, the center of Solomon's temple, which is really cool to think about. Uh, but But... Think about that in your walk with God. You've got to take time out. You've got to sacrifice time. There's, what's more valuable than your time, right? And so you've got to take time out. I mean, pray on the way somewhere is awesome as well, but make sure you're making a daily sacrifice in your time for God. Uh, so one other practical I want to, want to mention, Steve talked about our discipling relationships last week and taking time in our discipling relationships to have great conversations with one another. And I just want to encourage you in your discipling time this week, uh, Get, get with somebody else in the church. If you're visiting with us, we'd love to connect you with other people in the church. But get together and just talk about, A, uh, what is my shriveled hand? Like, what is the area that I want to see rejuvenation this year? And, and then B, uh, who around me needs new life? And pray for each other. Who can we reach out to? Who around me? Who has God connected me with that also needs spiritual rejuvenation? And pray together for who you're, you're trying to reach for the Lord as well. As we, uh, before we transition into uh, uh, communion, I want to play this. Uh, I was listening to a podcast and I heard this story 
uh, I want to play this story because uh, it makes you think about what it costs, what this rejuvenation costs Jesus. And, uh, and we'll, we'll think about this for a minute before we take communion. So let me, uh, let me start that one more time. Well, it all began at Christmas two years ago when my daughter was four years old. And uh, it was the first time that she ever asked about what, it, what did this holiday mean. And so I, I explained to her that this was a celebrating the birth of, uh, of Jesus. And she wanted to know more about that. And we went and bought a kid's Bible and had these readings at night. She loved them. Wanted to know everything about Jesus. Um, so we read a lot about his birth and about his teaching. And um, she would ask constantly what that, what that phrase was. And I would explain to her that it was, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And we would talk about those old words and what that all meant, you know. Um, and then one day we were driving past uh, a big church and out front was an enormous crucifix. She said, who is that? And I guess I never really told that part of the story. <laughs> so I had to sort of, yeah, oh, well that's, that's Jesus. And I forgot to the end yeah, well, you know. <coughs> He ran afoul of the Roman government. You know, this message that he had was so radical and unnerving to the prevailing authorities at the time that they had to kill him. They, they came to the conclusion that he would have to die. That message was too troublesome.
share that because, uh, you know, through, through the eyes of a child, you know, you, you, it, it, it makes it new again, you know, when you think about the story of what Jesus did for us. And it's so interesting in this, in this story that we read in, in Matthew 12. It says, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out. It was completely restored, just as sound as the others, as the other. Verse 14, but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That's their response to this miracle. We've got to kill this, this guy. And it seems so illogical. Uh, why is it so illogical? Because people are threatened by change. Uh, people are threatened by, uh, their security is threatened. People want control. And Jesus demands that we let go of control. We have to surrender to him. And communion is surrendering. Communion is surrendering ourselves to his sacrifice for us. You cannot earn your own salvation. You cannot restore your own hand. He calls you to stretch out your hand, but you've got to trust in his power. And you've got to trust in his grace. And, uh, and I really encourage you to respond to Jesus in that way. To, to not fight against him. To, you know, even Paul, the Apostle Paul, when he fought against Jesus. Jesus, when, the first time he appeared to him, says, you've been fighting against me. You've been kicking against me. Because that's what we do. Instead, we've got to surrender. And communion is really a time of surrender. It's a time where uh, Paul says, we examine ourselves before you eat the bread and drink from the cup. The wine that represents his blood that was given for us and the uh, bread of his body that was broken for us. Uh, there's a cool uh, quote from uh, an early church leader uh, that was an elder of the church in Antioch. His name is Ignatius. This is from 105 AD, so this is really early. But I've never forgotten this quote because I, I really love this perspective. When he's talking about communion, he says, breaking the same bread, which is the medicine of immortality, the antidote to prevent us from dying so that we should live forever in Jesus Christ. That was his perspective as the elder of the church in Antioch. Uh, and, you know, he lived from about 35 to 107. He was killed, executed in 107. Uh, you know, it's not that there's something um, metaphysical about the, the, the communion that it's it's, it's like a, a physical antidote, but it's a spiritual antidote. It reminds us of what it cost for our healing. That Jesus, the ultimate healer, it cost him his body and his blood. He was hurt for our wrongdoing. He was crushed for our sins. He was punished so we would have peace. So that we would be healed. He was beaten so that we may be healed. So I'm going to pray for communion. We'll have a time of meditation on what he's done for us. And then uh, I'm going to sing a song that's a prayer to God about his love for us. It'll help us just to kind of connect again with the way that he loves us and the way that he uh, guides us. Let's pray. God, thank you to uh, be able to spend time right now reflecting, to spend time examining ourselves and uh, remembering what you did for us. I pray that uh, every heart uh, could be, you know, we could let go of, of anything that is distracting us from really connecting uh, right now with your body and your blood given for us. Uh, thank you for the way that being together can help us. Thank you for the rejuvenation that comes through your word and our relationship with you. And I pray you bless this time of reflection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.